3: Welcome to New Books in Irish Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Colleen English, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, I'm talking to David Clare, Fiona McDonough, and Justine Newcase, who are the editors of the exciting new two-volume collection, The Golden Thread, a comprehensive study of Irish women playwrights. The volume contains... The volumes contain 42 essays written both by leading and emerging Irish theatre scholars and practitioners. Volume 1 covers the female playwriting tradition in Ireland from 1716 to 1922, focusing on nine women playwrights from the 18th and 19th centuries, as well as 13 from the 20th century. It encompasses a variety of themes, including the impact of space and place on identity, women's strategic use of genre, and theatrical responses to shifts in Irish politics and culture. Volume two is focused on the especially rich period between 1922 to 2016, highlighting work by 16 Irish women. This volume explores the intersections of class, sexuality, disability, and ethnicity. David, Fiona, and Justine, welcome. I was wondering if we could just kick things off by having you each briefly tell me a little about yourself and what led you to collaborate on this collection. So we'll we'll start first with David, if we could hear from you
2: hello i'm dr david clare and i'm a lecturer in drama and theater studies at mary immaculate college university of limerick and i suppose my research is kind of irish studies more broadly although i do have a particular interest uh, in theater and drama and i suppose the root of this collection for me is the fact that i suppose growing up i always really warmed to the work of a lot of women writers and women playwrights and kind of lamented that I didn't get to see the work of women playwrights, especially in Ireland, um, put on very regularly. And I would see how women would go abroad and have great success in, say Britain or America. And yet they wouldn't actually uh, get that same love back in Ireland and the theaters and theater companies in Ireland wouldn't be rushing to put on even those successful plays, you know, that were successful abroad back in Ireland. And, you know, when the wake in the feminists, um, revolution kicked off i was kind of moved to my core and felt that you know something really had to be done and i think you know obviously i wasn't alone in that impulse and all of us kind of were scratching our heads as to what we could do and so uh, fiona and i uh, co-organized uh, along with a phd candidate here at the time 18 wilde irish women playwrights and theater makers conference which we held in june of 2017 and justine was one of the uh, Team of volunteers that made a huge and great contribution to that, uh, including by conducting a great public interview with Ursula Rani Sarma. And I suppose these volumes have kind of grown out of that conference in many ways. Uh, many are directly related to papers given at that conference or, you know, kind of suggested other work and other gaps that needed to be filled. And So I suppose that's how I, that's how I came to the project.
3: Thanks so much, David. Um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I'm always interested to see how how people kind of get the idea for these wonderful collections. So Fiona, if we could hear from you next. Thanks.
4: Um hello. I'm uh, Fiona McDonough. I'm a lecturer in drama and theatre studies at MIC uh with with David and I too teach on the BA in Contemporary Applied Theatre Studies course. Um I suppose my research area would be theatre for young audiences. I was the co-artistic director of Cups and Crowns Children's Theatre Company for over 10 years and we were based in Galway. Um so I was a founding member and essentially it was um it was a devising company so um I'll just put my hands up straight away and say scripts weren't my thing (laughs) before all of this. um, I just kind of was always operating in terms of uh, theatre devised work or, you know, just not that we didn't develop script, but it was kind of not working from script. Um, So uh, I think how it all came about in terms of this project, it it, it was it was really David, David. was in, We were in the same department and we were getting to know each other because I think we were new enough, David, if I remember, in terms of being colleagues. Um, and I'd heard about him um, organising a conference and it was just serendipity. It happened that I was, you know, free and kind of we were talking and then I don't know if he invited me or I imposed myself on him. Something like that happened. And we, you know, it just it sounded like a really interesting conference. And um, so I became part of that team and then from there um there was i must say there was such a, a great buzz during that conference and it was really kind of it reminded me of a rehearsal room when there's there's something in the air where you know something interesting is happening and there's this vibe um, and i felt that way during the conference and it was really exciting and i remember thinking wow this this is amazing it's just just the the response even in the room to the papers that were given but also um i think it was that feeling that something was happening and it was just coming off the back as david said of of waking the feminists and so we're all kind of moved i think as well um so so then again um justine was there and she was part of the the whole experience and when so when david mentioned look i think we we can push this on and 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 think about maybe perhaps a book not, not two books a book at that one at that point I was only delighted to be to be part of it um, you know so that that's how I remember it but maybe everyone else remembers remembers it in a different way.
3: Thanks so much Fiona yeah it's, it's fabulous to think that you know Waking the Feminists it, um, actually spawned more collaboration especially since as you all have indicated you know the uh, women's playwriting tradition is so based on collaboration. So Justine, I'll turn things over to you now.
1: Brilliant, thanks. Um, My name is Justine Nakase. I am an adjunct lecturer at Portland State University here in Portland, Oregon. I'm also the current um, community engagement coordinator and the incoming artistic director um, at Corb Theatre, which is an Irish theatre company based here in Portland. And um, I was in attendance at that conference that David and Fiona organized, as has been mentioned. Um, And as Fiona has spoken about, it was just an incredibly inspiring event and moment. Um, the energy in the room really did feel like a wave of kind of like forward momentum. And I, I very much wanted to be a part of that. So, um, and then at the same time, the conference and Waking the Feminist Movement um, coincide, coincided with my growing role as an educator. So, uh, and consequently, I was having a lot of conversations around equity and representation um, in a pedagogical context. So, I was really starting to think about who I was teaching my students and, and what that communicated in terms of values and how that might be shifted. Uh, at the time, I was doing my PhD at Anyway Galway on race performance and Irish identity. And in fact, that's how I uh, got to know David um, from his time there um, as a doctoral researcher. And he gave some very, uh, I think, pivotal and influential feedback um, at very early stages of my PhD that was incredibly helpful. Um, but because of that, you know, I was thinking already about these ideas about equity and diversity a critical race context, Um, and then including gender as part of that made so much sense as well. Uh, So riding on that buzz that we're all talking about, I asked David and Fiona if they'd like another hand on the project of the book, um, and then which became books, And because it felt like a really meaningful um, and concrete way to address the imbalances that I was beginning to recognize um, within the work that I was doing more broadly. Thanks, Justine. Yeah, it's wonderful to hear how that's
3: connecting with with your teaching as well. Um, so I wanted to to. Um, shift for a moment and talk about uh, the title of the collection. So this kind of metaphor of the golden thread is obviously very significant, as it is not only the title of the collection, but it works as a kind of through line that draws the essays together. And the reference, of course, is from Lady Gregory's Grania, a play that was never produced in Gregory's lifetime because of the controversial depiction of the female protagonist. And you see this golden thread as a way of imagining the, quote, interconnected, often invisible history of women's writing in Irish theater. Could you explain a bit more about how this thread, invisible thread, operates? Um, At the time, did these women playwrights see themselves as part of a larger tradition of women's theater and what points of contact existed between these Irish women and how does their work bear the influence of other women's writing? Uh, So I think we're turning things over to David for this question.
2: Yeah, well, that uh, image of the Golden Thread is there, not just in Grania, but also in her retelling of the mythologies around the uh, Red Branch Warriors up in Ulster. And, you know, it is it is a very resonant image in that sense that having heard the different papers at the conference and done our own research, we saw how women had been uh, writing for the Irish Theatre for centuries and that they were running into the obstacle of mostly male gatekeepers uh, at theaters and theater companies and at publishers who were preventing them from you know having that work uh, appear before the public and we saw the uh, strain that they were under to try to get that work seen and you know up against those obstacles some works did appear before the public uh, and they, in many cases, disappeared rather quickly because, again, mostly male gatekeepers uh, would not even necessarily revive or publish even very successful plays by women. But if you go back and you do the work and you, and you look up these plays and you read them and engage with them, you actually realize uh, how brilliant they are, indeed golden, and that they were you know, consistently being produced over the centuries, the three centuries covered in the volumes. And so it was really a matter of kind of you know, highlighting this unsung work. Uh, So hopefully uh, future generations, whether, uh, you know, teachers or theater makers uh, or just even general theater fans would actually be able to appreciate these works and revive them and teach them, you know, and enjoy them. I mean, I suppose the trouble with the fact that these plays were virtually erased from the record uh, immediately after they'd be a big hit uh, meant that, you know, a lot of the women playwrights uh, were not necessarily aware of what had gone before them, you know, and I mean, a good example that stands out to me of this would be when uh, the critic Melissa Sierra, uh introduced Marina Carr to the work of Teresa Devi. And you might think that Carr would have been inspired even by this uh, playwright from earlier in the 20th century who, like Carr, was, you know, interested in showing how women uh, would kind of uh, bump up against obstacles and how the walls would close in if they tried to uh, push back against the patriarchal system. And, you know, yet Carr said, oh, I, I hadn't been aware of this work. And of course, how would she be? Because she hadn't been taught it, you know, even in university. And um, she would have had very, very little opportunity to see DB's work performed. So really, we're hoping that, um, you know, like um, Carr realized that she was actually part of a secret sisterhood. Uh, as Gilbert and Gubar would put it, uh, with the likes of Therese Devy and many others who'd gone before. Yeah, we're hoping that, uh, you know, it'll be seen how there is this tradition of Irish women's playwriting. And that, you know, in terms of that idea of are they, you know, kind of aware of wider women's writing. Well, I think one of the interesting things here is another form of erasure that the women have endured, which is that for some reason, historically, uh, if, you, if you don't mind me saying, say it, going against my own gender, um, women have been, quote unquote, allowed to be novelists and poets. But there's been this kind of discrimination against seeing them as playwrights. And so when Susan Croft did her encyclopedia of women playwrights going back centuries, she called it, she also wrote plays. Now, on one level, that she, woman, Uh, It means that she was writing plays back through centuries. But at another level, uh, that title also is an often seen last sentence in potted biographies of women writers. You know, she also wrote plays, where the dramatic output is seen almost as an afterthought. And so many of the women writers covered across our two volumes actually would get a fair amount of attention, even still as, for instance, novelists or poets uh, but we're actually shining a light on their dramatic output, some of which is quite brilliant. And I'd be talking about people like Frances Sheridan, Mariah Edgeworth, right on through to someone today like Emma Donoghue.
3: Fantastic. Yeah, thanks, David. It is uh, um, really interesting to think about um, the fact that a lot of these, as you were just saying, a lot of these these women didn't even know um, of that tradition of of women playwriting. Um so, yeah, so, I mean, as you brought out quite well, um, you know, you look at poetry, you look at uh, novelists, and certainly Mariah Edgeworth um, bridges that that gap between those. And they, there were little coteries of, of women's writing, but uh, I think that's what makes this collection so important is that you're really emphasizing and exposing um, the, the facts that, the, this tradition has for so long been ignored. Um, so, kind of building off of that last question and what you were just speaking about, David, I was just wondering if you could say a bit more about um, kind of this idea that the women playwrights hid behind male pen names um, and that. It, is often then very difficult or nearly impossible to locate the original female source. Um, So just either from your own experience of the archives, um, could you speak a bit more about uh, what you call this, quote, in absentia presence and the silences that you and maybe some of the other contributors encountered um, doing this archival work?
2: Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, the heartbreaking thing is that, uh, you know, when these women went and, you know, think about someone like Mariah Edgeworth, you know, successful novelist. And, you know, she goes and sends these plays off to Richard Brinsley Sheridan at Drury Lane and so many other women down through the centuries who sent off their work to professional theatres only to have it rejected and in many cases unjustly neglected or unjustly rejected, uh, you know, they had to kind of find other ways to get the work out there. I mean, in Edward's own case, it would have meant uh, home theatricals at the big house in Edwardstown. But yeah, others certainly would have result, resorted to, you know, male pen names. So it, it is unlikely we will ever know the full extent of women's contribution to Irish drama. And yet, again, those things that did appear can be found uh, with a bit of digging into archives, into repositories of rare books. And when you do go back and read those plays, oftentimes in manuscripts, because as Patrick Lonergan and others have shown, uh, even when a woman has a hit play in Ireland, uh, it's much less likely to get published than a play by a man. And even when they do get it published, it's much less likely to be pulled together into a collection of all their works, uh, to, you know, form a collected plays that would kind of uh, give a degree of status and a bit of canonization. By contrast, male playwrights that we could argue are much (laughs) less strong in in the talent department (laughs) sometimes have you know collections of their works um you know put together and even you have critics like going to bat for them and making the case for them this this dude should be in the canon or whatever and and here's a collection of five of his terrible plays to show that it's the case. But when we think about that, these seminal brilliant playwrights, you know, back through the centuries have never had their plays collected. And even right up to today, someone like Anne Devlin, the fact that there's not a plays won by Anne Devlin from, you know, Faber and Faber or Methuen or somebody, you know, and Deirdre Kinahan, we could go on and on. The fact there aren't collected plays of these uh, women is a problem. But again, I suppose the more we do this work, the more we go back in the archives, read the plays in manuscript, or even read the kind of occasional play that got published, then the more we can resuscitate that work. Now, sadly, some of the plays, because they were unjustly rejected, uh, have disappeared forever. And that would include important scripts, you know, by the likes of Teresa Deevy or Winifred Letts, or Dorothy McArdle, or going way back, you know, we still don't have the final act. Of a trip to Bath by Francis Sheridan because uh, it was rejected uh, by David Garrick, and you know, you know, I suppose people, you know, lose heart. Like, why preserve this thing that was rejected? And that's a shame. But you know, we'll keep up the hope and hope that we find more of this work and bring more and more of it to light.
3: Great, thanks so much, David. And certainly, um, you've given lots of food for thought for people to um, continue this this important work. And um, in fact kind of maybe develop collections um, anthologies of um, these plays uh, so to turn over to uh, thinking about the kind of chronology of this collection um, there's a shift in scope between volume 1 which presents an overview of Irish theater to, theater over a 275-year uh, period uh, to volume two, which focuses on a more condensed period from 1992 to 2016. Um, and this is a, a striking kind of shift and works to highlight the ongoing gender-based discrimination within Irish theater. So I was just wondering, um, Justine, if you could tell us a little bit more about the process for deciding on the chronological breakdown
1: of these volumes. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the key aims of the collection was really to provide a comprehensive overview of Irish women's theatre. Uh, so we looked for the very first play produced in Ireland by an Irish woman, which was Mary Davies' 1716 play, The Northern Heiress. Um, and it just so happened to perfectly fit that this was right exactly 300 years uh, before the Waking the Feminist movement in 2016, which seemed like a, a fitting endpoint. Though, of course, so much more work has been produced by women since then. Um, and I should point out right directly as a result of the advocacy of the Waking Feminists uh, movement. But Of course, that's a massive amount of content to squeeze into one volume, as we discovered, Um, and so we had to divide it somewhere. So we chose 1992 as that dividing line between volumes, uh, and there are two major considerations in that breakdown. So one was practical, and the other was symbolic. Uh, The practical aspect was that we had to try and divide the volumes as evenly as we could, and there's just been so much more work done by women in Ireland in the past 25 years than there was for two and a half centuries. Uh, And this was actually really a challenge for us in terms of getting the volumes published uh, because we encountered pushback in terms of people wanting even representation for each century, right? Like, where are the writers from the 18th century? Where are the writers from the 19th century? And we had to fight and show that actually, well, decades um, and in some cases, 50 years could go by without any professional productions of women's writing. And when this was interrupted, it was often by like one play and then back to silence. So there just was less material out there to work with during those time periods because of the very historical processes that operated to keep women from the stage. The other reason that we chose 1992 as the dividing line um, was a symbolic one, which was that it was the year of There Are No Women Playwrights, which was a festival of Irish women's theater presented by Glasshouse Productions protesting that very exclusion. And we felt that ending each volume on this note of protest, so 1992 with There Are No Women Playwrights, and then 2016 with Waking the Feminists, uh, that has echoed the guiding light of this project, which is very much about the political act of reclamation. Uh, And what I really appreciate about how that worked out, is that dividing the two volumes in that way emphasizes both the epic historical scale of Irish women's writing and recognizes that long lineage that we've been talking about. Um, And it also then emphasizes the abundance of brilliant contemporary Irish women playwrights who can, I might point out, still directly benefit from a renewed interest and engagement with their work. So when you see a volume of 16 playwrights, all of whom are fairly prolific in output, um, and we're just writing about like maybe one or in some cases, you know, two of their plays, and then you realize that this is only a sampling of what was available for us to choose from in the past 25, 30 years. You really have no excuse anymore to say, like, oh, sure, I don't really think that Irish women are writing plays these days. Um, so, you know, that that's where the division came from for us.
3: Great. Thanks so much, Justine. Um, I think you've given a, a great overview of kind of the, the divide and chronology. And as you were indicating, I, I like the way in which it's um, also linked to these kind of political act of reclamation. Um, so... In the introduction to the second volume of The Golden Thread, you comment on the ever-shifting need to redefine what it means to be a specifically Irish playwright and how, quote, intercultural exchange within and through Irish theatre brings to bear new perspectives on both canonical and new Irish work. Um, could you explain a bit more about how these new perspectives, uh, about the new perspectives offered by intercultural exchange, and how might these exchanges bring about a reevaluation of the canon, or even this kind of newly conceived um, female canon? And how do you see these as being different from the intercultural exchanges understood through the work produced by new Irish playwrights? So, Justine, I'll hand things over to you.
1: Thanks, and um, you know, fantastic question. I think. You know, when I was thinking about this, I think in many ways, Irish theater has always been intercultural. Uh, You look at the chapters in volume one on the plays of Mary Davies or Mary Balfour, and you see how from the beginning, Irish women playwrights have always been grappling with the multiplicity of Irish identities um, and the exchange. And one could easily say tensions right between various cultures on the island. Um, And because of this, it was really important for us to define the boundaries of Irish identity as inclusively as possible. So for example, we see the diaspora as part of Irish Cedar, not least because so many Irish women playwrights have had to emigrate in order to have their work produced, um, as David was talking about earlier. And that brings its own form of intercultural exchange in terms of how one's work is received, uh, but also how one's identity shifts when reconciling a heritage culture with a host culture, Uh, whether that's Elizabeth Griffith writing for the London Stages in the 1700s or Lizzie Nunnery today depicting the history of the Irish community in Liverpool. And I think that the same principle applies to those in Ireland with minority ethnic or migrant backgrounds. So there's a lot of really vitriolic debate going on recently over who gets to be Irish. And for us, it was important to take a stand and resist the kinds of definitions of Irish identity that rely on racist ideas of heredity and genealogy. Uh, So because of this, I think that the kinds of intercultural exchange that we do explore in the volumes is very much in conversation with the intercultural voices of new Irish playwrights, as you're talking about, Uh, So in addition to the chapters looking at the work of women in the diaspora, we have chapters on Ursula Rani Sarma and Rosie McDonough, who can be seen as this first wave of minority ethnic voices. Um, And then there are chapters on the circulation of Lady Gregory's work uh, internationally, as well as a translation of Marina Carr's by the Bog of Cats in China, which then explores how Irish women's writing communicates on the international or global stage when moving around these different cult- cultural contexts. So this idea of crossing or blending cultures in all of these iterations just highlights, I think, how faceted and diverse Irish women's experiences and perspectives are. Um, I think it's also important to note that while we wanted to include as many kinds of voices as we could in the volumes, uh, it was also important for us to signal directions for future scholarship And for me personally, and in my particular research, you know, it's key that we acknowledge that because we were using 2016 as our cutoff point, we were necessarily stopping before this new wave of Irish playwrights of color that we're now beginning to see were coming to the fore. So even if we couldn't include them directly within this project, I think we very much wanted to indicate that they belonged that their voices speak to the voices that came before, and that they are also part of a larger and longer history of those writing from the margins of Ireland and offering different faceted and fascinating perspectives um, on the Irish condition and Irish culture. And I very much hope that that call is taken up and that we see a lot of new scholarship around the work of the next generation of intercultural Irish women playwrights that recognizes both that connection um, that we're kind of trying to lay this groundwork for, as well as the totally new kind of Irishness that they are articulating great thanks justine
3: yeah um uh, lots of, of great reflection there on kind of inclusivity and i think you're absolutely right this has been such a contentious issue um, recently about kind of who constitutes as, as irish what claiming that that irish identity um kind of i suppose building off that in a way i um, in volume two you discuss the intersectionality of irish plays and explain that from the 1990s onwards, we see a, quote, growing interest in inclusivity and diversity in the work itself. Um, You quote people like Patricia Hill Collins and Uh, Serma Bald's definition of intersectionality uh, is the many axes of race, gender, and class that influence each other. And you reference Irish playwrights such as Emma Donoghue, uh, um, Amy Conroy, and and Marie Jones, among others, who are working at the intersection of double marginalization being female and queer or female and disabled. Um, While the intersectionality of these plays is by no means new, as you say, it has been threaded through women's plays for decades, and you just spoke to us a little bit about that. Uh, do you see female playwrights post-1992 engaging with this notion in a more self-conscious or overt way than their
1: predecessors? And we'll turn it over to Justine. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think a big part of this is just simply that post-1992, there's just been a new kind of language and culture around the ideas of intersectionality that has then allowed writers to speak more directly to these issues rather than folding them into the background or weaving them into the subtext as kind of has been the way before. And, you know, I know there's a lot of skepticism around the idea of identity politics and the way it's become a kind of straw man to tilt at. um, But there is something so powerful about being able to put one's own particular experience experience center stage, especially when you're so used to being kind of relegated to the wings, as it were, um, and exploring the nuances and factions within what are often seen very reductively as monolithic categories. So what I particularly appreciate about so many of the chapters and plays in volume two and then some of the ones that you mentioned is how they really lean into the intersectionality of their subjects in multiple and meaningful ways. So, for example, the plays I Know My Own Heart by Emma Donahue and I Heart Alice, Heart I by Amy Conroy both look at queer Irish women and their historical invisibility. Um, but I Know My Own Heart also looks at the role that class plays in women's agency. And then I, heart, Alice heart I really interrogates the ways in which these older lesbian characters um, are erased not only by heteronormativity, but by the ways in which queer culture can like idolize youth. And so the ageism and sexism within the LGBTQ plus community itself. And I think it's important, right, to challenge um to challenge all these ideas and to have these discussions uh, openly that diversify perspectives and, and keep us away from just kind of simplistic and essentialist binaries. Uh, similarly, Rosalie McDonough's work addresses her experience not only as a traveler woman, but as a disabled woman. So again, the ways in which these various communities have been marginalized by the Irish state independently, and then how like the triple marginalization of a uh, traveler, uh, disabled, and woman, you know, uh, manifests in very specific ways, and then in turn, the very specific ways in which that marginalization is resisted. Um, But I think it's also, you know, something to think about that... I wonder if this multiplicity of perspectives is due not just to a more open dialogue and awareness of intersectionality as a concept, you know, and kind of part of a a popular vernacular now, but also just the sheer number of women writing today. So like when you're on your own and in isolation and you're just struggling to be heard at all, um, to like get out of the closet, as it were, in terms of having your work being produced professionally, I think you're often restricted to like the one most important thing, um, which, you know, might be your identity as a woman, right? But then when you're in conversation, and there were so many other voices helping to tell this larger story, then there's more space to hold particularity up to the light and to illuminate the corners um, that have been yet to be explored. And I think that's kind of what's happening right now in the present moment. Thanks, Justine. Yeah, and I like how you kind of touched upon as well, maybe
3: alluded to the, the struggles faced, obviously, in the uh, theater uh, with practitioners and playwrights During the the pandemic and the kind of hurdles they had to to cross for that. Um, But building off of the last question and given that the women playwrights in volume two were double and as Justine was just indicating, times triple marginalized uh, by a variety of factors, uh, being female, uh, queer, disabled, different classes. Uh, can you explain uh, the selection process for choosing which playwrights to feature in the post-1992 uh, period? Maybe Fiona will turn things over to you here. This
0: episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe,
4: Sure, um I mean I, I think there are traces the traces of these ideas coming through volume one two, you know as illustrating some of the plays discussed, but given the times they were writing in and the the barriers that were in place, this was happening in more, in more covert ways in their writing and happenings on stage. You know, so, it, you know, in terms of volume one, we, we did see elements or, or you know, the, the traces of that happening or the threads, as you put it earlier. But as Justine indicated, post 1992 in Ireland, we started to move towards gender, you know, or sorry, more uh, move towards greater equality and diversity and inclusion. And playwrights, when allowed or given the opportunity to stage their work, I'll say, you know, inevit- inevitably they react to this because playwrights present cultural of values of a time. So, you know, David and Justine were keen to ensure that we recognise this and that the volume was inclusive of themes related to race and gender and disability and sexuality and their intersections with social, political and cultural forms of oppression. You know, so in volume two, we see the writers reacting to and sometimes subverting dominant ideas and values. You know, they expose underlying ideologies and existing structures that have a negative effect on women and, you know, of course, people more generally. So, you know, you might say that the selection process, process was also driven by an activism that was coming, you know, coming out through, out and through um, their work of that time. Thanks,
3: Thanks so much, Fiona. Yeah, um, and in Volume One, as you were kind of returning to that as well, uh, you write that the project seeks both to put women writers back into the canon, not just for academic study but also for professional production, and you call this a, quote political act of reclamation. It's easy to see how this collection would enhance the work of of theatre study scholars. Bros, wondering um how you thought it or envisioned um, this collection would to be received by theater practitioners? And then thinking more broadly, how might this inform other global feminist reclamation projects? And so Fiona, will turn it over to you.
4: Okay. So, I, I mean, there are different parts of this, I suppose. Um, and I'll just start with, you know, talking about the launch and, uh, uh, you know, Katrina McLaughlin, who spoke so well, She, you know, she's the Abbey's artistic director. And she said that reading, with reading the books, she had come to realisation. And I'll use her words because, you know, they really stuck with me. She said, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I com- can completely relate to that. Because before this project, I didn't understand how much you know, work women had been producing, women had been participating in theatre all this time as creators of theatre work. And and that's not part of the, you know, theatre history that I'd learned about. So, you know, in the same way for myself as a, you know, female theatre maker, and, you know, I didn't go looking for them either. So, you know, I kept asking myself, why is that? Why is it I didn't realise this or understood that there was something to search for even? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that women's work has been, you know, mass or you know, are portrayed as inferior um too. So that someone like me, a woman making theater, isn't looking for it. Or perhaps if it is there or was there, I wasn't valuing it. So in a way, I was an obstacle to the work because, you know, let's say because of not knowing you know, not knowing, as David put it, what came before. So for me personally, it took the intervention of this project to change that. And I hope this collection helps us, you know, theatre makers move beyond existing ways of thinking about theatre work in general. But I also hope that, you know, by presenting these plays, you know, and and telling the world about them, that theatre makers, you know, I suppose now they know know, what they should have been searching for in the first place. and I suppose secondly, to answer your question properly, <laughs> you know, how do we hope this collection will be received, you know, and may perhaps utilised by you know, practitioners? You know, research plays an enormous role in any theatre maker's creative process, whether you're a director or a performer or you're involved in the making of work in any, you know, any other way. You're involved in an artistic inquiry. You want to understand the play better, the playwright better. You want to understand the context, the complexities of the work. You look for other perspectives that can open up your understanding. You know, you want to find contrasting dramaturgical methods, ideas. You're looking for historical significance, anything that will help you figure out your approach or interpretation of the work. You know, and with theatre scholarship, it's a critical analysis. So it's important in that way. And I think theatre practitioners will, you know, as I do, being an academic and a practitioner, will value this. And I do value this collection for exactly those reasons, because it, you know, it will offer another route of inquiry and another perspective on the work that may be helpful, Um, as well as perhaps introducing them to new work written by women. So in terms of thinking more broadly and how this might, you know, inform other global feminist, you know, projects, look, it's imperative that the work of women is included in history. We know that not only for historical accuracy, but to advance the work of all people, regardless of how they identify. But this can only happen if we expose them to women's work. So in the broadest sense, this collection might serve as an impulse, to discover or rediscover work, work that has been thought of as lost or ignored or underplayed. You know, but but discovery, of course, depends on if they've been discovered. So the places we look for women's work might not be the usual places. It may not be straightforward. And if we think about how, you know, these are people, women who are or were marginalized, and they were negotiating barriers in order to make work, you know, and, you know, perhaps they circumvented their gender role as circumstances, you know, in order to make this work, how we have to think about how did that come, come about? So we need to go look for them in the places or the spaces that they found for, them sp- for themselves, um, the spaces that allowed them to make work. And I know someone said it earlier, the hiding spaces. So. You know, this collection might be helpful in that way that you know we see the contributors in the collection have sought out or dug out the work of these playwrights and and shared their stories, and so it might be helpful to learn how you know they brought this these this work to our attention, even. But finally. It may also promote the restoration, you know, of not just others, but the self. And I'll bring it back to the idea of, you know, thinking, sorry, thinking about myself, but you know, my work is, you know, a theater maker. Like I've begun now to to look back at my practice and and start to document and to to, to archive it and analyze it from an academic perspective. I'm reclaiming my theater work, putting it in writing, recording it so that that I may add to the visibility of women in the field. Um and and I think that's what all of this is has brought to me and I and I think that's probably gonna be significant for other people as well.
3: Great. Thanks so much, Fiona. I really like that idea of the kind of restoration of self, that it's both an act of of kind of exploring those hidden places and, and finding um the women that have been kind of lurking there um due to um the oppressions they've been faced, but also about the ways in which it can inform your own practice. So I think that's really significant. Um, so just as we, we start to wrap things up here, um, I was wondering if if any of you wanted to speak to me a little bit more about kind of what's next for you in terms of your new projects or um, maybe expansions from this, this present project of the edited collection. Um, so if uh, we'll we'll maybe see David if you want to kind of come in on that first, and then Justine and Fiona.
2: Sure, I suppose what this project has opened up is, yeah, how much, as others have said here this evening, like how how much more there is to be done, how many more gaps there are to be filled. And now I I know myself going into the archives during this project, you know, I saw you know names and plays that maybe I was only able to kind of read quickly in passing or, you know, came across and said, oh, I must investigate that more. And so I know in my own efforts to, you know, kind of fill different critical gaps that I'm definitely going to keep hunting down plays by women and keep writing about them and, you know, kind of rediscover some of the treasures that are there and that unfortunately have been erased.
1: Yeah, and I suppose I'll jump in and and say that, You know, when we're conceptualizing the scope of these collections, um, we really wanted to try and make it a text that would be useful for researchers, um, for educators and for practitioners. And I feel like at the current moment, I'm kind of toggling between those three hats, um, as it stands and I'm finding it incredibly useful, uh, the process of having worked through these volumes, um, as Tina mentioned, right, kind of reflecting on our own practice and, and recognizing what we, we hadn't thought about or what we didn't know. Um, so, you know, getting to use these chapters as a text, um, as an educator, um, getting to include, um, these plays on my syllabi um, and reconceptualizing syllabi to ensure that there is like gender balance um, and, and that we're thinking about that going forward consistently um, as a researcher I suppose because my own research is very much in that space of like kind of the new Irish playwrights and I talked about like I'm hoping that the call for new scholarship around these emerging voices uh, of writers of color in Ireland um, comes forward like I, I, I'm hoping to become a part of that um, there's some really exciting movements and shifts and individuals um, I feel like on the ground and in the ecology at the moment. And then finally, um, you know, coming in as artistic director for for Corb Theatre, which has a fantastic uh, track record in terms of the number of plays by Irish women writers that it has produced and its commitment to that on its stages. Um, Yeah. Again, like being able to, as David was mentioning, find out more (laughs) look for more of these things read more um in order to and then try and produce them and bring them to light and revive them um in ways that then um they get to be appreciated in in the the form that they were meant to be which is live and in person and on stage
4: Uh, that's probably me now (laughs) um yeah i i think that's that's it's it is just i suppose my way of thinking about it everything has changed now so um i have to i suppose honor The work that I've done in order to then start, you know, um, widening out that that idea of of women's work as well so i'm i'm already um working with uh, with uh, people from um the company that i worked with before um and looking at the work we've done um and also what's interesting in our in our first meeting we start we started to talk about other work that was happening um at the time other artists um female artists that were working so it's these two things are so it's not just about us it's about actually the people around us and um, and so that that there's a there's something happening there, and it definitely is. Um, we are going to document it, and we are going to to look at it and analyze it in order to to put it out in the world. But in just, I suppose, in order, as I said, to to. To to share the stories of the the theatre making that was happening that 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 we I I have I haven't shared with the world myself and and also I know that even looking around me those women that that I can remember that probably haven't had a chance to talk about this um and and share that um work too so I'd love to speak to them so that's kind of I'm in that space now and I'm really excited about it.
3: Great. Thanks um, to all of you for sharing um, those insights. I, I do think that there's so much, it's such a, a rich collection that uh, there's definitely a lot to be done, even in terms of, uh, yeah, including including this material on, um, on syllabi, uh, kind of getting this into the classroom, as well as then um, looking at the ways it could potentially um, influence uh, theater makers and that sort of thing. So thank you so much uh, to D- David, Fiona, and Justine for joining me. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you about this timely and comprehensive new collection. Um, and please remember to uh, subscribe to the New Book, Books Network and Irish Studies, um, everyone out there, and do consider adding this wonderful and important um two volumes on Irish women playwrights uh, to your home libraries. Um, so I strongly recommend uh, getting your hands on a copy or copies of The Golden Thread. Um, thanks, thanks to all
2: of you.